shall this birthright be unto me. And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him. And he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. And he did eat and drink, rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. With God's help, I'd like to speak to you for just a few minutes on a clear mind. Pastor, would you pray? 
Praise God. Precious Lord, we ask you, dear God, to bless our brother to anoint him. Let that anointing go in this church and the airways. Touch the needs of each and every one. We'll give you the praise of it in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage of Scripture, we find where Isaac's eldest son, Esau, who he's a very great hunter. There's a lot of things, a lot of manly things that he can do. There's a lot of manly things that Jacob could not do. Jacob was a small man. Jacob was not as rigid as Esau was. Esau being an excellent hunter, he was able to hunt a lot of venison and just about any other food that the family would want to eat. And as his father drew near to his death, he called for his son Esau and he said, I want you to go out and I want you to find venison. I want you to bring it and I want you to cook it the way that you know that I love it. And Esau immediately took his weapons and went out to find this venison. Forgetting that sometime earlier that he had sold his birthright to Jacob. God is a type of man, a type of God that he respects what we do in looking down the road on things. He's not looking for a man that is in the here and now. He wants a man that will look down the road and will savor the things that are eternal. The things way on down the road from now. Esau was not this type of man. So Esau, he finds his venison. He kills it. He prepares it. But while he's gone hunting, his mother tells, calls for Jacob and she tells him, she said, bring me a kid. And she said, I'll fix it for your father. I'll prepare it the way I know he likes this. And we're going to clean up the, uh, we're going to clean up the skin. We're going to put it on your arms and on your neck and shoulders. And uh, basically we're going to pass you off as Esau. So she prepares this kid. She takes it. He eats it. He calls for Esau so that he can bless him. And when he comes up, he begins talking to him. And of course, Jacob begins talking back to his father. And his father says, there's something, something wrong here. He said, this, you're Jacob. And he said, no, father, said, I'm Esau. And he said, well, come over here. Let me, let me touch you. So he touched Esau's arms, which were covered with his goat's, pelt, a goat's mantle. And he said, well, this is perplexing. He says, you feel like Esau, but your voice sounds like Jacob. And Jacob continues to let his father know, 
I'm Esau, I'm not Jacob, and he finally convinces his father that he is Esau. So he gives his blessing to Jacob, thinking he's Esau, and he gives him everything he has. He gives him everything that's going to be in the future. There wasn't a blessing left out that he does not give Jacob. And immediately after Jacob departed, Esau came in. He said, Father, I've got your venison the way you like it. I'm sure his, father heart, his father's heart dropped because he's thinking, okay, now this is Esau's voice. I'm sure he comes up in there, come over here, let me touch you, my son. And he touches him, and sure enough, he's a hairy man. This is Esau. And he's feeling, I have been duped. Son, you're not going to believe what's happened. Your mother came in claiming to be you. And I have blessed your brother with everything. There's not a thing that I haven't given to him. I've even given you to him to be a servant. And Esau breaks down. He begins to weep and mourn. He begins to cry. Is there not one blessing that you can give me? Is there not something that you reserve for me? And he tells him, no, I have given everything to Jacob. Even you're giving to him. And he said, you're going to have to be his servant. And this is just the way it's going to be. And Jacob, or Esau, as he got ready to leave, he uh, shot off on his mouth, and he said, after my father's dead, and after the morning is over, I'm going to kill Jacob. So, the mother of Jacob and Esau gets word of this. And she tells Jacob, says, look, you're going to have to go to my brother Laban until that this passes over, till your brother cools down. And the rest of this is another story because uh, it goes on, for, goes on for a long time. This, this is how uh, he ends up with his wife and the, and the 12 sons that he had. So anyway, Jacob, he runs down to Laban. And Esau, for some reason or not, evidently does not pursue him because the Bible doesn't give any account of him being pursued. And Esau eventually, he eventually gets over this. It's years down the road before he does. We have another two people that we're going to talk about. The story of Moses and Ramses. Ramses was the physical son of the Pharaoh right. who had uh, come to power after that Joseph had died. This Pharaoh did not know him, so the children of Israel had been put in bondage, and they've been in bondage now for 430 years. So Ramses I has Ramses II, and this is his son. He should have been in line for the throne. But uh, Moses was a man. He was rescued from the river, a place that he was supposed to die, and he's rescued from this river. Right. 
This river saves his life instead of killing him. And he is raised in Pharaoh's court. History lets us know that he was a more favored man to Pharaoh than Ramses, his son. He was more valuable to him. He was a brilliant military leader. He had won victory after victory. He had taken city after city for the Pharaoh. And I'm sure this caused a great deal of animosity between Moses and Ramses. But Moses being nursed by his actual mother for the Pharaoh's daughter, she had instilled in him you may look like an Egyptian, you may act like an Egyptian, you may walk like an Egyptian, but you are an Israelite. Amen. You are of the lineage of Abraham. Abraham is your father, not the Pharaoh. And I can see how that Moses, he's just about ready to ascend the throne. But God has other plans. And God causes a scuffle between two Israelites. And well, I'm getting ahead of myself. He had seen an Egyptian, it was probably the master builder, who was beating a Hebrew slave. He catches no one looking and he slays this man. The next day, Two Israelites get into a scuffle and they're fighting and Moses steps in to break it up. And they said, uh, who are you? You know, are you, you kill me like you did the Egyptian? So Pharaoh said, surely this thing is known and by now this had gotten word to the Pharaoh. And he knew he would have been put to death for killing the master builder. I mean, this was one of the most important men in Egypt. He was responsible for everything that was built. And if he had killed this man, it would have more than likely angered Pharaoh to the point to where he may have had Moses put to death. So Moses flees, and he goes into, uh, he goes into the wilderness. He becomes a shepherd. He marries a, a woman of... Um, actually of Arabia. And one day, while he's out tending his sheep, he sees a bush burning. And I'm sure he's seen bushes burn before, because <clears throat> I was stationed in the desert for two and a half years, and it's real easy for a fire to spontaneously break out there and burn whatever's there, because it gets so hot. So anyway, he sees this bush burning, but he notices there's something different here about this bush. This bush is burning. It's not wilting. It's not drawing up. It's not being consumed. It's just continuing to burn, but not being consumed. So he says, I'm going to turn aside. I'm going to come over here, and I'm going to see what's going on here. As he draws near to this bush, now this bush has his attention. And the Lord speaks to him from the bush. And he tells him, I'm the God of Abraham. He tells him to take off his uh, shoes. He says, you're on holy ground. And he tells him, I've chosen you to deliver my people 
from bondage in Egypt. And so now here is where Moses chose rather to suffer the affliction of God's people than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. God didn't let this go unnoticed. It might have took 40 years. But at the end of that 40 years, God called this man to deliver an entire nation from the bondage that this nation was under. And we all know he led the children of Israel out. He led them through the wilderness for another 40 years. And he led them up to the point of the land of Canaan. And of course, Joshua took over from there. We go on over into the Bible and we find Israel crying out for a king. We want to be like other nations. Other nations have kings and queens. We don't have that. All we have is, is uh, Samuel's orders. You know, He's a prophet. He, he kind of tells us what to do. We have judges' orders. But we want a king. We want to be like every other nation out here. This, this pleases God. But God gives in to what they want. And he said, but I'm going to choose a man that's going to be king. And God chooses a man. He's mild. He's meek. He's head and shoulders taller than any other man in Israel. But he's very reserved. His name is Saul. And God chooses this man to lead the nation. But the problem with Saul, Saul had an Esau mentality. Saul was all about everything temporal. Everything had to be now. It couldn't wait. He was waiting on Samuel to come and sacrifice before they went to battle. Samuel was delayed in coming. And he goes ahead, he says, I'm going to go ahead and force myself to make the sacrifice. This displeased God because his office was not to step into the office of the priesthood. His office was to lead this nation in battle and to lead this nation into progression. That's what Saul's job was. But God forgave him for this. And God gave him another chance. And he said, pull out the books, pull out the history books and begin to read. And he takes him where that the Amalekites came out against Israel when they were coming into the promised land. And God had told them, you write this down in a book for a memorial. Because I'm going to remember and someday I'm going to judge Amalek. This day had come. God had chosen Saul to take care of this mission. One of the most important missions probably that Israel ever had. You go and you wipe out the enemy of God. You don't spare anything. You wipe out the men. You kill the women. You kill the children. You kill the babies. You kill the suckling. You kill the cattle. You kill the sheep. And I'm sure they killed any roosters. I'm sure they killed dogs and cats. I'm sure they domestic killed every other domesticated animal that they had. 
Come on. All right, but Saul, because he was afraid of the people, because the people did not want to slay the best of everything out there. They wanted to keep the best of the cattle. They wanted to keep the best of the sheep. So Saul allows this to happen. Samuel comes up and he says, what is going on here? And he says, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have done the Lord's bidding. And Samuel says, Then why do I hear the bleeding of the sheep? Why do I hear the lowing of the cattle? Why is King Agag standing here in front of me and you're not on top of him cutting his head off? And he says, You have not done what the Lord wanted you to do. Agag now thinks, okay, this, all this anger's past. And Samuel says, as you've made women fatherless, I'm going to make your mother childless. And he grabbed Samuel's sword and he hewed Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Trying to cover for what Saul did not do. God was not forgiving him this time. This was it. God said, I'm finding another man as king. I'm going out. I already know who I'm gonna who I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get a man that loves me. I'm gonna get a man that worships me. He writes songs to me. He sings to me. I protect him. I protect the sheep that he's out there guarding. I'm going to take this man and I'm going to make him king. Hallelujah. So uh, uh, Samuel kind of sneaks away. He tells the king he's on a mission. He kind of sneaks away and he goes to the house of Jeffy. And of course they go through all the brothers that he has. None of these men are chosen. And he asked him, Is there, do you have yet another son? Yeah, but he's little and ruddy and he's out there watching the sheep and, you know, the Lord's not going to choose him. He's, he's just, he, yeah, he's just, you know, he's one of them guys, you know. He's just, he's not tough. And Samuel said, we're not going to do anything you're not going to do anything going forward until he's brought here. So they go and they bring David. And when David walks up, the Lord lets Samuel know, this is the man I've chosen. You go and you anoint him and make him king. And we know the rest of the story. David became a mighty man of war. He won battle after battle for Saul until the women of the city one day were singing as Saul and David were coming back. And they were saying, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And pride, arrogance, and anger entered into Saul's heart. Saul spent the rest of his life until he died in battle trying to kill David. 
He wanted the things that were temporal. He had to have it now. He couldn't wait on God to give it to him. David was a man, he trusted God. God had already slew lions and bears for him when he was out there guarding those sheep. God took him through victory after victory as a man of war and as a great general that he became in Israel. Finally, when Saul died, David is made king over Judah and Benjamin, I believe it was, and later he was made king over all of Israel. And at this time, David kind of grew laxed, and he said, we're fighting a battle, but I'm, I'm going to kind of stay back with the gear. I'm going to stay in the rear with the gear, and I'm just going to kind of take it easy. You know, let my men fight this battle. And we all know what happens. He sees a beautiful woman bathing, and he ends up committing adultery with this woman. This was a bad thing. And even though it costed David his firstborn son by this woman, whose name was Bathsheba, when all this took place, and David had had another man, had had her husband killed, so to try and cover up what has now become a conspiracy. And the Lord speaks to Nathan the prophet and says, you go tell Daniel, or I mean, go tell David what I've done. You tell him in a parable because I want his anger to be kindled. I want him to go ahead and pronounce judgment before he knows that it's him. And as soon as Nathan tells him that you're the man, immediately David goes on fasting. He begins to weep and pray. He asked God to forgive him. This is what God loved about David. David wasn't a perfect man, but David was a man that knew how to repent. If we can learn how to repent, yeah, you're going to make mistakes, but God will forgive you if you will be honest with God. You will open up your heart and you will repent to Him and say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. You don't try to cover it up. You openly admit it and God will forgive you. Hallelujah. He forgave David. We know the story. David ruled Israel until the day of his death. We have in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have a story of two men. One is God robed in flesh, which is Jesus. The other is a man, his name is Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot wanted to believe in something. But Judas Iscariot was looking for an earthly kingdom. He was looking for a man who would rise to power that would lead Israel so Israel could break the yoke that the Romans had on them and they could conquer the Romans. This is the type of kingdom that Judas was looking for. 
He started following Jesus. Now the Bible says that he was a thief from the beginning. The and he starts following Jesus. Jesus knowing the disposition of this man, he gives this man the purse, which is the money that the disciples have to go to sustain them going from place to place. He knew that all this time Judas was going to be skimming off the top. He already knew this, but still, he gave him this office. And I believe that Judas really became delusioned when the Lord was preaching love and forgiveness instead of kill and conquer. He became very delusioned about this. And he decided, okay, I know that the government wants to get rid of this man. I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to him to see about turning him over to him. And maybe I can profit a little bit along the way. So he negotiates with him for 30 pieces of silver. And they go into the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, you'll know the man that you're supposed to apprehend because I'm going to betray him with a kiss. He walks up. He kisses Jesus. And they lead Jesus away. Jesus already knowing what was going to happen to him. Judas here again was another man he looked for things in the temporal he did not look for things eternal he did not look for things that last after judas realized what he'd actually done that they were actually going to put jesus to death he goes back and he cast money at their feet and said i don't want it and he goes out and the Bible says he hanged himself and the hanging was very violent and his extremities opened up and his bowels gushed out. This man died a very painful death. But the worst part about this whole story right here is he had followed Jesus for three and a half years. He had seen every miracle that Jesus did for three and a half years. He had seen every teaching that Jesus taught for three and a half years. And still, he turns his back. But when you realize what he'd done, like I said, he went out and he hung himself. Too proud, too arrogant to repent and ask Jesus to forgive him rather than killing himself. Because I promise you right now, our Lord is such a forgiving God. He would have, he would have told Judas, I don't care what you've done to me. I don't care that I'm going to be put to death because of your hand. You've asked me to forgive you, and I'm going to forgive you. And it would have been him. He would have said, today you shall be with me in paradise. Judas had the chance to go to heaven. He had a chance to make it. And he rejected it. Come on. 
We have a story in the book of Acts. It's about a man named Paul and a man named Alexander. This Alexander, he was he believed in the old Jewish way of religion. He would not accept this new way of repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and infilling of the Holy Ghost. He rejected it. He went around and he caused Paul great pain. He caused this man so much suffering and so much shame because he would go around, he would mock him in the services. He would disrupt the services. He would tell them, you got to obey the Mosaic law or you can't be saved. This is another man. He wanted, he wanted something that was right now. He wanted the blessings that the priests were given right then. He was not willing, like Paul, to look down the road at something much better than what he had. Because Paul was definitely looking for a better resurrection. There's no doubt about it. He lets us know that through the Word of God so many times. And when you look at the world today, we have this coronavirus going on. It has shut our nation down. The, the press and the media, the media and the Democrats, they have scared the life out of the American people. If this lasts much longer, it is doubtful that our economy can rise back again. They say that right now we're headed toward a depression that was worse than the depression of the 1930s. And what's really going to be bad about this depression, even those who have money, there's not going to be any food. Because my farmers are not going to be able to get their crops to market because of this. You're going to have a lot of crops ruined. You heard about the milk? That they're just dumping by the truckloads. This is something that could very well usher in the end. And if you think for one minute that the government is going to step in and save you and help you, let me tell you what their agenda is. Our government's agenda is a global community. Our government's agenda is a one-world religion. Our government's agenda is to set up a system where you can neither buy, sell, nor trade unless you have what we now know is a chip that John called Mark, but we know now what it is. It's a computer chip. And the virus that they're talking about, uh, the vaccine that they're talking about coming out with this, this is going to have a microchip inside this vaccine. I look for it to become mandatory that you have to take this vaccine. If you don't, they're going to punish you, I believe, by letting you not buy, sell, or trade 
And they will eventually say, this is enough. We're going to make sure you take this. Either you take it, or you up, or you step up here, and we're going to cut your head off. This is where this is headed. This is no longer a hundred years down the road. It's no longer 50 more years down the road. I believe it's at our doorstep. We are going to have to adopt a mentality of Jacob, Moses, David, Jesus, and Paul. We're going to have to have an attitude where we're not ready for this. We're not going to sell out. We're too close to the end. We done read the book. We already know who we already know who wins. The history book has already been written. We already know that God wins. We know He's going to win this whole thing. How in the world, if you know this, can you deliberately choose the losing side? Where you know if you get this shot and you get this chip, you can never be saved. You are doomed to hell forever. There is nothing that can save you. It is an unpardonable sin. God has let us know. Look, I'm getting things ready here. And I don't know whether you know it or not, but the end time revival is in full swing. It just ain't here in America. There are people overseas in South America, in nations like Iran, they are getting the Holy Ghost by the scores. They're being persecuted for it. They're being jailed. They're even being killed for this. They're being killed for their testimony. They're being killed for their faith. But guess what? God's done sealed these people. He's done sealed these people who have stepped up to the chopping block. I'll give my head today for glory and riches and being with Jesus tomorrow. Yes, Only a fool would take this mark and give this up. We have the chance of a lifetime. Yes. We might be in the worst of times, but we are also in the best of times. We are a generation that no generation has ever seen. That's right. We are in the generation of the second coming of our Lord. We're going to see it. I am in my 60s. And I don't think I will go the way of the grave before it comes. We're that close. I don't think we've got 10 or 20 more years. We've got to have a prayer life that lines up with the Word of God. We've got to have a prayer life that lines up with the things that Jesus tells. I want you to do. I want you to worship. I want your worship. I want your praise. I want your glory. I don't want your money. I don't want all this other stuff that you have. I want a place in your heart. I could have chosen to live anywhere in this universe. I chose your heart. This is where God lives. He lives in our hearts. He lives in our minds. 
We become the only home that he's going to have this side of heaven. In closing, I want to ask you, what are you going to do with this? Thank you, Brother Cabet. Praise God. We're living in a day of the fulfillment of prophecy. When you read the headlines, it's like reading the Bible. It's like seeing things. They claim that there's plagues all over this world. Africa's having grasshoppers eating their crops. They call it a biblical type plague. We realize that we are in an end time, a time such as America has never faced exactly like this. It's time that each person makes a consecration and dedication of your own life. Salvation is a personal experience. It's not a multitude at one time. It's one person at a time being able to call on God. But the Kavets told us and showed us the nearness of His coming and how it could be. Our question is, what are you going to do about it? That's going to make all the difference in the world. It's a choice that you make. And I pray that you choose Jesus. And choose Him. God bless you for tuning in. And I pray that you'll let the Holy Ghost speak to you. Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus, wherever this broadcast went, that the Holy Ghost would move, dear God, upon people, let them see the seriousness of the hour and the lateness of it. And we'll give you the praise, Lord. Let them find a place to go to church. You don't have a church? You're close enough to come here. Foxworth, Mississippi. Old Grove Apostolic Church. 1069 Highway 587. We'll be glad to have you in Jesus.